Hello and welcome to this episode of Feed, Play, Love and Helpline, where it's your opportunity to ask our Mothercraft nurse, Chris Minogue, any of the questions you might have about sleeping, feeding, sibling rivalry, all of the things. I am wearing my sparkly sequins because (laughs) this is our last episode for the year. My goodness, that came quick, didn't it, Chris? It sure did. This year has spun fast. My goodness. We're like right around the corner. It's Christmas and it's almost next year already. It's very um, confronting. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be a happy new year. Oh, very soon. So listen, it's your opportunity now if you've joined us live via Facebook to pop your questions below the video. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, unfortunately, we will not be able to answer your questions. So I'm not going to be telling you to email us. Um, however, if um, uh, when we come back, we will, we will let you know. Um, but as I mentioned, you can pop your questions below if you have any. And we do have um, one to start off with from Rosie, Chris. Okay. She says, um, I've written before about our little night wanderer, but we are yet to solve the problem. Our son is two and a half years old and goes to bed between 7 and 7.30 p.m. He settles very easily and we make sure we leave his room while he's still awake. But nearly every night without fail, sometime between midnight and 2 a.m., he'll come out of his room and either get comfy on the sofa or stand by our bed until we wake up. (laughs) We put him back in his bed and tell him it's still dark so we don't get up until the sun does. We can usually then leave him and he'll go back to sleep and wakes anytime from 5.30 a.m. How can we break this habit? We were recently away on holiday and he slept in a cot next to our bed and he didn't wake us once for the whole two weeks. So it's being in his own room that seems to create the problem. He's been in his own room since eight months and slept through until he turned two. He naps in the day from 12 till 2 p.m. Thanks, Chris, for any advice. Okay, so Rosie, I think it's quite cute that he takes himself to the lounge room and feels quite comfy. But if you think about it, he's taken to himself to spots where he feels very, you know, very safe and very secure. You know, we all feel secure in the lounge room on, you know, mum and dad's lap or our, our parents' lap. But the, the one thing I can see here is he's probably having a little bit too much day sleep for a two-and-a-half-year-old, and that might just help really swing this into really consistent sleep especially since you did it for two weeks when you're on holidays. So I suspect um, for his age at two and a half, I'd first start putting him down at 12.30, getting him up at two, and then put him down at 7.30 so that we get the timing right at least so that if he feels like being a happy wanderer, that he's not awake for too long. It might be just a moment and he might be able to put himself back to sleep in his bed. Um, the next little change will come in a couple of months and he'll probably only need an hour's sleep in the day. So between one and two and still down at 7.30. And it's not until he drops that whole day sleep that we pull him back to seven. So one, I'd look at that timing um, and make sure the timing's right. The second thing is, I think it's just a comfort thing because he's quite happy to take himself to the lounge room and go to sleep. Yeah. In this case, yes, you can walk him back. And yes, most people would tell you to walk him back. But what I'd probably do, because it's a comfort thing, is I just put a, um, a little bed on the floor in the in your bedroom and just say to him, when you come in, just lay down on that bed down there. 
And I think in time and with shortening the sleep, he'll just stay longer and longer in his bed. And he's just looking for a bit of comfort at the moment. If he's not complaining, not yelling, not screaming when you leave the room, I think this is control the sleep in the day, give him a space to feel comfortable. And I think in the next couple of months, it'll just disappear and you'll be fine. All right. This question comes from Steph on Facebook Live. She says, hi, ladies, how many milk feeds should I aim for with my 11-month-old and what timing should I be looking at? She's mostly breastfed, slowly moving to formula for one feed a day. So breastfeeds and bottle feeds are exactly the same. So I'm not sure how many breastfeeds you're doing, but for an 11-month-old, they have three milk feeds in the day, regardless of whether it's a breast or a bottle. So they would have one generally when they wake up. They could have breakfast first, then the bottle or the milk feed. But generally, they have a milk feed first. They have one um, around lunchtime before they go down for their lunchtime nap. And then they have one in the evening before they go down for their evening sleep. So just generally three milk feeds, regardless of whether it's breast or bottle. And let's just say it's bottle because that's the only time you can actually measure it. <laughs> How much milk would you be giving in a bottle? So I give up to 180 in the morning and the lunchtime and 240 in the evening. It's a real balance between the food and the milk. Yep. And they need still need, you know, an even amount of both, really. They've got three main meals and three, three milk feeds um, and one snack is the general general idea around this age group. Okay, our next question comes from Tamika. She says, um, actually, sorry, I'll just go to Carissa from Facebook Live. She says, my six-month-old wakes regularly at night for the dummy or twice for a feed. She's able to link sleep cycles at times, so I know she's capable of it. Is cry it out the only way of encouraging her to put herself back to sleep? I believe it may be easier when she's older and can find the dummy herself, but what can we do between now and then? I truly can't listen to her crying for more than about two minutes as she becomes hysterical and it's incompatible with my parenting style. Is it separation anxiety? The chronic broken sleep is becoming very difficult. Any suggestions? I think this is a really tough one. And and the other thing is I don't think there's many people who say, can you tell me how to do control crime? Because that's what I want to do. So it's a really <laughs> tough window to be in. Um, no, you don't have to do control it out, but control crying version. But yes, you have to give her some time to try and go to sleep. And I think that's not a conflict of what we're saying. Control crying is very controlled. This, I think you need innately to listen to your child. So if she only cries for two minutes and then gets herself worked up, then you go in when she gets herself worked up. And if that's two minutes, that's two minutes. But in the same respect, if you hear a child in, at six months and you jump in there, you could be creating other issues that you need to be aware of and content to keep doing. So, for instance, we have the dummy and we've got two feeds here. So we need to work out, Carissa, whether you're happy to do two feeds. Generally at six months, they're really looking at moving on to one feed overnight. And they usually are sleeping an eight-hour period, whether it's a feed at 10.30 and they sleep till 6.30 or whether they sleep till 2 in the morning and then they sleep till 6.30. So is the dummy an issue? The dummy's an issue when you have to get up and replace it frequently as a cue to go back to sleep. 
and that it doesn't sit well with you. So I think Carissa's in this really tough space where she doesn't want to do any version of control crying, but the, the things that she is doing, that baby's needing a few more of. So I would say the first time she fully wakes up, let's try and get her back to sleep so that the second time she fully wakes up, we can give her a feed. And you can do that very gently. You can wait till for two minutes and go in there. And But instead of putting that dummy in straight away, how about we do some shushing and patting a little bit to calm her down before she gets that dummy so the dummy isn't such a, a quick response. And then wean her softly into one feed overnight. Now, to do that, it takes repeated experiences. So this is going to take you two or three nights to do, even four nights to do, just to get her sleeping smoothly for about six to eight hours, then having a feed, and then sleeping for another four or five hours. And so I'd make it little steps and not big steps and don't get overwhelmed by control it out but you ha- or crying it out. So you have to be aware that for her to self-settle, you need to give her some time, but she doesn't have to cry for a long period to do that. Yeah. Good luck with that, Carissa. Our next question comes from Tamika. Back to that one. Uh, My baby girl is four months next week and she seems to have gotten into the habit of only pooping twice per week. She's even gotten to five days between poos. When she does finally poo, she spends an hour or so grunting and pushing so loudly we can hear her all over the house. Oh, this isn't good. It looks so painful, but she doesn't really seem bothered. No crying or fussing, just a lot of effort. It's kind of adorable watching her concentrate so hard on her mission. Ha ha. And the poo is massive. It's a yeah, complete imagine. It's a complete punami every time. It's simply amazing how much comes out of such a tiny little person. I'm wondering if this is normal or if I should be getting her checked out by the doc for constipation. Is there something I should be doing to help her poo more frequently, like give her water? She is exclusively breastfed and we obviously haven't started solid foods yet. I'd love any advice. So generally a breastfed baby is not constipated because there's such a high fluid uh, water count within breast milk. So going twice a week is no problem. Them being tsunamis is no problem. Um, When you're out and you can't. That's a problem. Or in a car seat, that'd be a big problem. Yeah. But generally if it's twice a week and it's not really bothering her from what we can read from what Tamika has said, it's not really bothering her till the point where she wants to do a poo and then she wants to get it out of her. But she's managing that. So as long as her stomach isn't rigid and full and distended, then she's okay. Some babies only poop twice a week. Um, but when it comes, it, it really comes. I think it will just level itself out with time. She's a fully breastfed baby. As long as she's putting weight on, she's healthy, she's sleeping and she's feeding, twice a week is just your sweet little girl at the moment. So I would leave it alone personally myself and watch out for, you know, every Wednesday and every Saturday. if she's like clockwork which you know (laughs) breastfed babies it seems fine she can go twice a week and it'll be big and and in time it'll get smaller and more frequent okay lucky you um (laughs) this question comes from cat she says my six-week-old only cat naps during the day and i would love some advice on getting her to sleep a bit longer 
She seems to sleep deeply in my arms after her breastfeeds, which are roughly four hourly. But when I put her down in the bassinet, she only lasts 30 to 40 minutes max. No amount of resettling, cuddling, rocking will get her back to sleep once she wakes. She will sleep for an hour if I keep her in my arms. But I also have a two-year-old, so this is not really an option. She's sleeping really well through the night with a four to five hour stretch after bedtime, then another long sleep until around 5am. So I don't understand why her day sleeps are so short. I've installed blackout blinds in our bedroom. Her bassinet is next to our bed. I've tried a dummy to help with comforting and settling. She doesn't really like it and just spits it out immediately. Is there anything I can do to extend the daytime naps? I think you need to start putting her down um, because she's going to sleep in your arms and obviously when you go to move her because you've got another toddler and you go to put her down, that's disturbing her sleep. So now she's six weeks old. We probably have to flip this around. And she seems to be feeding only every four hours, but she's only asleep for an hour. So that sort of gives rise that she might be awake for an extremely long time between those feeds. So um, the night's great. And I'm going to touch some wood here because they might be great. She's not getting a lot of sleep in the day, but they are very good. So let's see if we can save the day and keep our nights going. So at six weeks of age, I would still think she would be feeding as many times at night as she does in the day. So, you know, from seven-ish, seven-ish to six in the morning, I would think that most six-week-olders were moving from three feeds to two, to two feeds. Two feeds is a really good baby. Three feeds is probably the average. But in the day, they would be feeding about every three to three and a half hours. And the rhythm that we would be using, which is I think where this has gone back the other way, is called feed, play, sleep. So from her first feed in the morning, she you're looking for tired signs, but roughly she's awake about an hour and a quarter-ish. In that time, she's had a good feed from both breasts, nice and calm and relaxed, little play on the floor. Soon as we see those tired signs, such as jerky movements, whingy behaviour, disconnecting by head turning, that's our cue for settling her. So picking her up, wrapping her up, calming her down in your arms, taking her into the room, like she had said, into the bassinet, tuck her in and then dim the room. Now dim the room, don't, you know, it's not that cave black, but just dim the room and then see if you can step away a little. So you won't get very far. She's six weeks old. But once she starts crying, I do some gentle rocking, some gentle packing, patting but if that crying is increasing pick her up give her a cuddle calm her down and repeat and that's difficult when you have a two-year-old around but it's at this stage at six weeks that you want to start thinking about it because otherwise she'll be six months and you're still carrying her around so it's trying to get that balance now that you're recovered from the delivery and she's a bit older and a bit bigger so that you can get her down in her bed she should have about an hour and a half sleep in each cycle um, at least three times in the day. She might have an unsettled patch once a day. And her feeds, I think, could be a bit closer together, about three to three and a half hours, and see if that starts to help. But the idea is that you put her down and then you start to settle her. And that's just tipping that around the other way. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with that, Kat. 
Uh, the, this question comes from Mandy. She says, hi, Chris. In January, my wife and I need to travel away from our two kids for three nights to attend a wedding interstate. It's our first time away from them and we're after any tips you might have to make this as easy as possible on both our babies and my parents who will be having them at their home while we're away. The kids will be 18 months old and two years, nine months old, and we've never left them overnight with anyone before. We regret this now, but we really never needed to have them babysat overnight so the kids haven't had any experience with sleepovers away from us. We really don't know We really don't want to spring it on them the day we're leaving, but we also don't know when to start talking about our trip away with them, given it's still a couple of months away. Do you recommend a practice sleepover or two before we go? We'd love any tips. And that's from Mandy. Yeah, so that's exactly what we would do. But I wouldn't give both of them to your grand, to your mother, all in one go. I wouldn't actually talk a lot about it. It's it, this it, this age doesn't really know time and distance. So if you say to them, "We're going on a holiday," and you're going to stay with grandma, that's abstract to this age group. A three and a half year old might get it, but even still, it's a long way away. It's like saying to them in Ju- July that Santa's coming in December, and then nothing happens. So I'd hold that conversation off almost to the week you're going, and that's that's all I would do. But in the meantime, I would start letting them have little time at grandma's place on on their own without you. Now, that could be during the day, okay, and it could be individually. Then as it getting closer to the time, I'd start to have grandma have one of them overnight, so see how grandma's coping as well. And then the other one, because they should be in quite good rhythms and routines by now. And, and then maybe a practice run quite close to the weekend you're going away. So maybe just one night stay, maybe a week or two before you go away. But I wouldn't mention that you're going away until the week you're going away because I think it's too abstract for that age group. Yeah, fair enough. And it might be easier than you think. It usually is easier than you think. It's harder on you and they're having a great time at grandma's place with all the fun in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, good luck, Mandy. I hope you have a lovely trip away and the kids settle in easily. Uh, This question comes from Kendra. She says, hi, I'm hoping you can help with my seven-month-old's separation anxiety. He simply hates to have me out of sight, out of his sight at any time. And won't even let me put him down for a play on the floor or a cuddle with dad. He doesn't want dad to change his nappy or bath him or feed him in the high chair. I have to be right by his side. The minute he sees me retreating, he begins to fuss. And if I actually leave the room, he screams the house down until I return. It takes his dad a long time to calm him when I go out of the house for any reason. Sometimes it takes half an hour. And it's starting to make dad frustrated when it happens, which sort of makes it worse. I get the feeling that it is actually just hurting my partner's feelings as they had a loving and strong bond up until about a month ago. Then this behavior began. This is also making nap times and bedtime hard as bub wants to be held to sleep after a breastfeed and only by me. Previously, I could put him down drowsy and he'd self-settle to sleep. But now he sees me leave the room and begins to cry. I'm a stay-at-home mum and he was exclusively breastfed 
now with solids three times a day. So I understand why he's attached to me. However, I would love any tips to help get that bond between daddy and son back on track. I'd also like to be able to leave the house without all the screaming. It's so upsetting every time I go anywhere. Help. I think this is something that you sit down with your partner and you discuss outside the moment the baby's crying because I think it's overwhelming your partner and it's certainly overwhelming the baby. And if he's seven months old, we know this baby's been through at least four months of COVID. So we're going to take it in little steps here. It does sound like um, separation anxiety, but it is young for separation anxiety. So my other question, which we don't have from Kendra, is I wonder how overtired he is because it does sound like a very overtired baby. So when we have a very overtired baby, they often can't cope with change, like being put down on the floor and then mum disappear for five minutes to the bathroom and back. They can't cope with that. And Kendra had mentioned that she rocks him to sleep. So there's a lot of contact from Kendra with this baby, as in rock to sleep, um, fed four times, and then she's obviously feeding him dinner and she's physically there. So what I would do is go gently with these things and I think we need to give some skills to dad and mum. So when dad's doing it, that Kendra can support her husband in doing it. So her son sees them both doing the settling or doing the feeding or doing the play on the floor because he seems to be struggling with all of that. So hopefully, Kendra, he's getting about three and a half hours of sleep in the day because that would certainly help him. So if he's not getting that sleep, I'd first start working on sleep because then he's going to be better on the floor and then he will see you step away and come back and step away and come back. And they only might be short moments, but that's how we would start this. Um, Putting him to bed together might also help. So going in the room together, talking to him together. He's now seven months old, so there's a lot about maybe putting him down and staying with him and patting him because obviously he's got some anxiety and both of you doing that a little bit. Um, and then playing together on the floor. So I think this is lots of little steps to get him in the right, but it does sound like a baby who's overtired. So it'd be interesting to talk to Kendra about how much sleep he's getting, where he sleeps, um, and is that playing a contribution to this? But otherwise, small steps, Kendra, really small steps, and build it up. And before you know it, you know, they'll be back together again and your, your little boy will be you know, looking for his dad. But I think they both need your support at the moment to do that. Mm. The next question comes from Nikki. She says, hi, ladies, do you have any tips to help prevent mastitis? In my baby's 12 weeks, I've had it twice already and I'm hoping to get as much advice as possible to never let it happen again. I was lucky in that I didn't get very sick and end up on antibiotics, which I know can happen, But still, it was so painful and it really made breastfeeding a nightmare for me for over a week each time. Because I was in so much pain, I tensed up when feeding and this resulted in a poor latch and my nipples being torn to shreds each time also. 
I don't think I can go through it again and continue breastfeeding. It was so awful. My nipples took ages to heal each time and are still very tender from last time, but I'm desperate to continue breastfeeding. So I'm on a mission to do all the things to prevent it again. Here's what my baby clinic nurse told me, but I would love to know if there's anything else I should be doing. I try and keep my breasts from getting over full feeding from both breasts or expressing if bub doesn't take much and I massage massage them towards the nipple each night in the shower, especially if they're anywhere feels a bit lumpy. Is there anything else you would suggest? This is a bit of a tricky one because if you had mastitis, you should be on antibiotics. That is the actual given. So I think it's probably prolonged because you didn't have the antibiotics. So I'm trying to work out who might have given you the advice not to have antibiotics because if there's any hint of mastitis, usually you have to be on the antibiotics. So that could be playing one of the roles on why it was so painful for so long. Um, The other thing is, and as their clinic sister had told them, uh, told her is to completely drain the breast. So to make sure you drain the first side and then offer the second side, and, and let the baby soften the second side. My only thing is if you're then expressing after the feed, you will be telling your body to produce more milk. So it's this very hard place around how to deal with it. Um, so as soon as you get that redness and that firmness, Nikki, you actually probably should go and see a lactation consultant. And most of the early childhood centres will have a breastfeeding clinic, okay? If that redness and pain comes back, you need to go to the doctor so they can assess whether it's mastitis or block ducts or thrush. So the fact that you didn't get the antibiotics might be leading towards thrushing the nipples, which is very often when you have cracked and grazed nipples and it feels like razor blades going through your breast. So, yeah. Sorry, memories. <laughs> so I really think that you need a good LC to really look at that breast and find out what's going on for you because you could be sitting in two different things. Those, those very damaged nipples could be leading to thrush and that's where you get all that pain because if you had mastitis, you wouldn't be able to, you, I mean, you get very sick very fast. Mm. So... Next time it happens, so keep draining, you know, first side, a little bit off the second side or until the second side softened, then alternate. So I think you're doing a great job there. Make sure you get the frequency. So at the moment, get the frequency. And the other trick to mastitis, if it is mastitis, ultrasound. So if you go to a physio and have an ultrasound, it breaks down the milk that's blocked and it really gives a sense of relief. So just a couple of tips but actually it should need a full assessment to give you the right plan. Yeah, I definitely feel for you because, honestly, when that hurts, I think people underestimate that kind of pain is just so tough, especially yeah. when babies needing to feed all the time. So yeah. that's really... And the flush pain is really painful. So I do wonder whether Nikki maybe had also thrush mm. to be that painful. But, you know, I think it can be really hard. So it really does need an assessment, a proper assessment through a lactation consultant as to what might be going on. And um, is thrush, when I had, um, when my kids were small, thrush was something that 
was really hard to diagnose. They, the women that I was in my mother's group with, was they, there was a lot of conflicting advice on whether it was thrush or something else. Well, usually thrush has the same signs. So usually thrush comes through grazed or cracked nipples, or you, though you can get ductal thrush where it's in the ducts. Um, it's, it, it's commonly a radiating pain. So it starts at the front and radiates through the breast, commonly. Yes. Um, the nipple usually goes dry and red and or you see thrush in the baby's mouth. Okay. So that's commonly the most common thrush. Sorry, this is the biggest <laughs> mosquito I have ever seen in my life just <laughs> blew in front of my head. Whereas, whereas mastitis usually starts as a reddened area that gets much firmer and then sort of spreads across the breast and usually in a very short period of time you feel quite unwell, like you get a headache, you have flu-like symptoms. And unfortunately you've got to put the baby on and feed and soften and drain that breast. Now that's definitely painful, there's no doubt about it, but you need antibiotics. So you've got to get antibiotics into your system to clear those that um, sort of infection through your breast. So I wonder whether she's actually had a little bit of both. Yeah. And that's what's been going on. So a good LC and a breastfeeding clinic would definitely be able to help you out there next time. Aren't mothers amazing? They are pretty tough, aren't they? Look at what they go through. I know. And they're quite amazing. And, you know, they need the support to get through it. It's just finding that right support to support them through, especially issues like pain and poor attachment that, mm. you know, you know it's coming up every three to four hours. You, yeah. you really <laughs> Yes, you do. <laughs> species, aren't we? <laughs> oh, well, look, uh, what a what a question to an, end on, Chris. <laughs> but, but, well, let's celebrate women and how strong yeah. they are. And that's right. And giving them good support. That's right. And we may not be, this might be our last one for this year, but um, there are other help and support out there. So please make sure you do get help if yeah, you're struggling. Absolutely. And Chris, thank you so much for all your wisdom and sharing all your advice and helping. And yes, so we are off for the year. Um, but before we go, I will let you know we still have a couple of Facebook Lives to do with our um, Bump and Baby online events. So there's uh, one on Wednesday night at 8.15 and there's another one on Thursday night at 8.15. Do you think I could tell you what they're about? No, I can't. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't have that information in front of me, but you will be able to ask questions and they will be, uh, it will be with Genevieve Muir and Joe Ryan, so both great experts that can help a lot with that. Um, so, goodness me, I'm actually going to say Merry Christmas. I know, far too early, isn't far it? Far too early, but uh, thank you for joining us, Chris, again. Thank you so much. Oh, and it's always a pleasure. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.